And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Heinz uh, Guger is with us as we are talking about Dare to Manifest. It is an amazing tool, Heinz, once you get to use it, isn't it? it? You know, it opens possibilities. And when you start acknowledging that this all the subtle energies is out there, uh, it will change you. I mean, it, uh, when I looked back when I was 10, 15 years ago, on the farm, you know, just the traditional, you know, teaching what, what farming is all about. And suddenly you're getting exposed to this realm. Uh, you'll see things doesn't need to be as hard as they always say. Let, 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 the, let the subtle work do the work for you. You still have to do your work, you know, the physical work. But uh, when you integrate that, uh, life gets much easier, I have to say. Much easier indeed. Let's go to the calls. Let us go to Tom in La Jolla, California, to get us started. Hey, Thomas. Hi, George. Thank you very much, Heinz. Great interview. I have a simple question. Maybe it's not so simple, but does gratitude have a frequency? And does gratitude, how does that play into manifestation? Gratitude is one of the most important things. When you actually in gratitude, and there's always a saying, like attracts like. So when you're in gratitude, you attract more gratitude. And when on our quantum broadcaster, we also have indeed gratitude and thank you. So this is always part of it. And that's you everything is, is, is we always say for a reason and sometimes that doesn't make a reason why this is, you know, but you look back a few weeks and days, and then suddenly go, there was a reason why this had to happen. So even you think at this stage it is so uncomfortable or you didn't, you didn't really want to go down that road, but gratitude, even in the, in the toughest time, will, will, will open the future for you because you live in that gratitude. It, it's a total frequency. If you, if you don't, this is not just I switch it on and I'm switching it off. If you can be in that, that gets you halfway there. What is the easiest way, Heinz, to empower yourself with these abilities that you've been telling us about to make things happen? What's the easiest right. way? Or is there no easy way? <laughs> well, you're, you're going to go hit roadblocks too. But if you can live in that, if you know that every word, every emotion, every every feeling you have has a frequency and a resonance, right? So if, if even if you talk beautifully about somebody, but you really don't mean it, you're not aligned, it will not work for you. So that means your whole system, your, every cell in your body, everything has to resonate with what you actually do. And you can see that now 10 years ago, working with energy, it was very sluggish. It still worked. It still manifested. But now... The energy changed. We have much more and stronger energy. You can think of something and you get it. So, and that goes for good and bad. So the first thing I always would say is consciously, as soon as you have an emotion coming up, see if it's good or bad. If it's on the not so good one, change that. So, and you know, the worst of the worst thing is when people start gossiping. You go to the cafe and they're talking about different people. This is not what's happening to these people. This is what you put on yourself. So if you consciously know that not just a spoken word but every thought every emotion carried a frequency and if you can that if you can change that that this is on the positive side even in the negative 
situation. So somebody cuts you off in traffic and you lose your temper, uh, you're out of that zone. But if you can just say, okay, it just happens by accident or he didn't see you and you just, you know, go with the flow, you start attracting this as well. You're in the flow. And uh, of course, we're in the third dimension, you know, we human beings, we go up and down as well. But consciously, the first thing is work on, on, on the beneficial thoughts and align you with this. So your whole body resonates with that. Well, that's so important, too, to be able to do that. And uh, once it starts working for you, how do you know it's because of that? If you just expect it, and these miracles happen. You meet the right people, the right jobs come up, um, things just happen. And even when you have a breakdown somewhere, um, you know, things happen. I mean, I, I, I look back how I met my wife. I mean, I didn't want to go to the event. Uh, I tried to get out. She tried to get out. But ah. we, we met each other there because it's just, uh, you know, coincidences don't exist. This is all planned. When you're in that state, Things just come to you, and you'd be grateful for it that that you attract that because you're you're have that you're shining that light out that that resonance, and that's going to go everywhere in the universe. All right, back to the calls we go. Jody, upstate New York. Hello, Jody. Um, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, thank you, um, thank you, Heinz, for uh, radioing this really good work. I'm very familiar with dowsing. Um, I have a question, uh, but before I uh, give you my question, I just want to say. I'm very familiar with uh, Raymond Grace. He's also a dowser. Right. And what he, right. And what he's done is he's actually cleared cities. They had, I think it was in Baltimore many years ago, they had a serious crime problem. And he sort of cleared the energy of the whole city where kids all of a sudden were graduating from school and the crime thing went down. So I know, I know there's a lot of things you can do with uh, dowsing. But my question is, um, I'm someone that's very EMF sensitive. And I hang out with a lot of people who have the same sensitivity with cell phones and computers. And one of the things we're always, problems we're always running into is the problem of no matter what tool we get, whether it's a, a tool for the house, the room, or a tool for the router, or something to put on the back of the cell phone or your computer, they don't work after a while because the 5G energy is constantly coming out of the cell phone or the router or the modem just knock them out and you waste your money because you put them on the back of your cell phone and they don't work. So my question is, you know, what do you recommend, you know, that will clear the house permanently or balance the energy permanently with regard to EMF sensitivity? So a lot of people, you know, some people when we measure that on the chart, their, their sensitivity is very high and some people are not. So everybody is different. And, before I buy any tools, I'm actually checking on my chart using a pendulum and I'm checking how beneficial that tool would be for whatever reason I'm, it's designed for. So if that tool goes up to 90, 100%, I'll probably buy it. If this tool is already down to 20%, at this stage, this is not applicable for what you're trying to achieve. When we do our courses, over the years, I, I call it, I call it created a recipe. And that recipe I use to clear not just uh, EMF and Wi-Fi, I also cleared up Earth Spirit for Spirit Energy. So this is a, a, a guidebook where we're going to you know, publish down the road how to use that. So you can clear them and 
why, why do we know we can check that is when we have a person with a mobile phone and we do a muscle testing, you're familiar with muscle testing, Jordi, right? Yeah. 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 So we would, you know, you hold the phone and you do a, a muscle testing. You, you probably test weak. Now, after we do a clearing and we remove these detrimental energies, then you should you, you test strong again. And the key is when we do a clearing like this, we're not just taking these detrimental energies and just put them somewhere. We actually direct them either into the soil for composting or to be put in a dimension to be healed up. So they're not getting picked up by somewhere else. And this you can do almost every day. That's a, a quick clearing. It's like a house clearing you do. You like vacuum your house every day. You just do a quick clearing so there's nothing hanging around. And you can check that as well before and, you know, if, are there any detrimental energies in the house? But, in, but then you just combine that as well and you do uh, all the energies in one go instead of doing, you know, this energy and this energy and this energy. Because I did this on the farm and I have binders of, of, of recipes. So eventually I came up and said, look, I, I can't, I need to do it quicker. So I worked on one and this can go now for a lot of the, the detrimental energies we're working with. Next up, let's go to Joe, Long Island, New York. Hey, Joseph. Yeah, hi, Hans. I have two questions that more relate to the manifestation. One would be, uh, if you're getting just, I would say, more like clues, which could be dreams that might give you a clue or two, or uh, daydreams or just thoughts, uh, how do you formulate them into a... Uh, like what you said previously, like a held intention, uh, if you want to do that, you know, uh, of, say, a half hour where you're holding the intention, uh, how do you just pick up those, like, disparate clues? And also I was thinking about self-evaluation. It, I don't think we're taught to evaluate different activities we do in terms of motivation, how good we are, how we're doing. Uh, you go to school, you get a report card, you get an A. Beyond that, uh, I can think of activities for myself, like I, I would run races. I never consider myself uh, a runner per se, but uh, I'd run, like, say, a 10-mile race at the beach, and then I felt it felt a little bit difficult to do a, a good, breezy 10 miles, and then I ran a marathon, and I noticed that the first 10 miles I had trained more was like a cakewalk, basically. I did it fast. And then I started to, you know, have to work a little bit after 10 miles. Uh, and I never really did an evaluation on running. Uh, you know, where, why am I running? Uh, what's the purpose? How good I am? So should we maybe put an evaluation on things we do, even picking movies? Why am I picking movies? Why do I have foreign movies that I like to see? You know, that type of thing. So you're saying, Joe, we should question our motives? Well, in other words, like just like try and look at different activities we spend a lot of time on. What's our motivation? How are we doing? What are we actually, where are we with this? What do you think, Hans? I don't understand the question right now, how to, you know, check this. I mean, what we do is we use these tools to find out what is beneficial at this stage, you know, to, to enhance uh, certain activities. Could that be in the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual? And, 
then you can see if that's beneficial to, to continue or not. But does that answer a question? Uh, yeah. Uh, in other words, uh, yes, should we at least check in a little bit uh, from time to time? Do a, I'd say a review, a review on our activities. Like how would you conduct a review on what you're doing? How would you question, Hans, your motives? Because um, I I know that we, uh, what I do is is all right, and we have results. And if we do it as long as we do it for the benefit of one detriment of none, then I can't harm anybody. So um, this is a hard question, you know. Or, or I don't I wouldn't know how to answer that. Yeah. Let's go to Blair in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Blair, go ahead. Hey, thanks, George. Nice to hear Jody. And Mike in Denver tonight, along with Brendan in Austin, Texas, Coast Collar Futures being formed, my friend. Perfect. Uh, emotional intelligence, uh, Heinz, uh, what are your thoughts regarding radionics and the so-called Havana syndrome? Can it be used to counter intrusive vibrations, for instance? And I'll take my call off the air. Thanks, George. Have you heard of the Havana syndrome, uh, Heinz, where... Members of our embassies feel sick, like they've been bombarded by something. And we have that sometimes, you know, when people are almost sensitive to EMF and Wi-Fi and uh, other 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 influences. So, what we do in a case like this, you can measure the frequency output. So you you, you can see what it is, and the radionics gives you the tool. You can analyze that, right? And then what you would do instead of uh, sending a balance back, you have to invert these rates back to them. And uh, so there's a possibility that we can have that sometimes where we work with this and we everything is a resonance at the frequency descent, like a microwave. So if we can pick up on these energies, we can reward this, we can invert them and send them back or at least block them. There's no more effect on uh, any human beings. And uh, this is this is quickly done. If you're like a good radio exploitationer, you pick that up very quickly. And then you have radio stations, which you basically can reuse to block these energies. Let's go to Chris in Milton, New Hampshire now. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, I was going to pass on... Uh, some information on the dowsing that I picked up from my father. He used to uh, do that, and he would get a tree branch, something with uh, a lot of water in it, like a poplar or a willow, mm -hmm. and he would peel the bark off the uh, fork. He would hold it in his hands, uh, underhanded, and... Uh, out from his chest, and the sh the shape of it, if you think about it, was like a, a rough circle with a uh, antenna sticking out from the circle. And I think uh, maybe it was a magnetic loop that was going into the the ground. And picking up the uh, magnetic field from the, the water that was down below. Is that what he was looking for, Chris, water? 
Yeah, he was he was dowsing. He he did it for a number of people, uh, and uh, they had dug wells put in, and they they had plenty of water in the spot. They told him to, you know, dig dig the uh, well wellhead. Pretty accurate, uh, indeed. It seems to work a lot uh, looking for water, doesn't it, Heinz? Your wife worked is probably what you see when you do some research. Uh, the early thousands, they used a lot of these wife forks out there. Um, there's actually now wife forks out there which are synthetic made as well. Um, that's for water. For water, this works very well. Um, and it's easy. You can just walk over and it will pull you really or pulls you down into that direction where it is. Um, I use, in that case, I use my L forks, uh, L rods where I go when I find it. And then you just can follow the stream with the forks that will point to the direction. And then you also see which flow does it go? Does it go upstream or downstreams? And and then from then on, I use the pendulum to actually find the water quality and the water depth. So it's an integration, and everybody has their favorite tool. That doesn't mean that everybody needs to use that tool or that tool. It's you start making it your your own, whatever works for you. And when it works, uh, you know, don't change it. And in terms of the dowsing hands, what is the most important aspect of it? The individual or grabbing these signals from wherever they may be coming from? It's it's the individual. It's you. So you are connected, and you have to have a clear thought and a clear thought process when you do the dowsing. So when you go out for water, you're not just going to go and go, you know, over 2,000 acres and you go, I want to find water. So you have to really make yourself get in the zone, I call that. And you make pre-work. You're actually going to find out where are the spots and, you know, how much flow rate is it. And when you're in that zone, this is that the only thing matters, and you will then resonate. The whole system will harmonize with what you're looking for. Is it the water? Is it a lost object? You know, we had one farmer, he lost his little radio on 2,000 hectares, and he couldn't find it, but he found the area where it is, but then he froze. He, he couldn't do it. He was, like, afraid of finding You've got to be able to do it. We're going to come back and wrap things up with you, Heinz, in just a moment on Coast to Coast. And we're back with Heinz Guger in his book. It's called Dare to Manifest. Let's go to the calls. Fred is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Fred, go ahead. Hey, uh, thanks, George. Thanks. Heinz, uh, the Heinz, the uh, frequency thing, Tesla uh, at the end said the way to understand the universe is uh, energy, frequency, and vibration. I have been helped tremendously with homeopathic vibrations. I'm a sensitive subject to it, so I can really feel it. And I wanted to ask you two questions. Uh, first, I will mention also when I was younger, I learned that if you write things down, the nerve from the eye to the brain is 10 times bigger than the ear to the brain, so it's better to write it down and look at it instead of having somebody tell you. Um, <clears throat> I want to ask you two questions. One's uh, Rudolf Steiner, and if Steiger, if uh, you're familiar with his work 100 years ago where uh, he would take um, cow manure and stuff and he would uh, make it into a homeopathic-type solution by stirring it in one direction and going the other because a lot of people don't realize when you shake a bottle of a liquid, when you stop and go in the other direction, 
for a nanosecond, those molecules are approaching the speed of light, and they stretch their bond, and then they pick up energy from the center of the Milky Way called zeta potential. And so he would he would put this uh, liquid cow manure in a cow horn and bury it at the, at the equinox or something and dig it up later. And it was so amazing that it was like organic fertilizer, like just a little sprinkle would go a long way, and he had the greatest crops in the world. Oh, it worked for him. It worked for him a lot, and he was one of the best when it came to that. By the way, five years ago, uh, Coast guest Brad Steiger passed away, uh, but he was an expert in this kind of topic, the paranormal and UFOs. Tell me about the story of Epsilon Butes. This is this is an incredible story that a lot of people might not be aware of, of what very well could be an alien object that is circling our moon. You know, I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. And uh, you picked up on it when it first came out. Uh, I could not imagine why people weren't going wild about this. But here is a, a broadcast, so to speak, and sometimes we theorize that maybe there's like, I don't know what kind of device it'd be, but some type of tape recorder in the mm-hmm. heavens that keeps broadcasting messages. But here, and serious-minded astronomers said, you know, this is coming from a source. It's coming from something that, you know, is circling. It is in an orbit, and it is broadcasting meaningful messages. Now, and then it just disappeared from the stories, and I tried to track it down and get more information, and then I don't like to project thoughts like this, and sometimes uh, we get a little weary of saying, oh, it must be a cover-up, but I could not understand that this could really be anything other than some kind of cover-up with this information, and there must have been more that would be released and that that we reported in the book. That alien contact, it seems as though someone was, was telling us, you know, we're here and we're, we're available, so to speak, for communication. And then there was nothing else. And this object apparently was parked around our moon about, what, 13,000 years ago? Yeah, yeah, that is what the, the communication claimed, that it had been parked there like it was kind of an overseer. Like it was, that was its mission to say when we were ready enough to receive this Jeez. information. Well, it would still be there in orbit, right? Yes, yes. That's what I understand, but I haven't been able to get any more information about it. There was a lot at first, and I tried to track it down at the time, and then it just dried up, and I couldn't get anyone else to answer. But, you know, I'm stubborn. And, uh, you know, Sherry says, yes, I agree with you. We've got to put this in the book. Yeah, Maybe it's a great story. people get excited about it, you know, some, some additional statements from someone who should know will, will be forced to make these statements and explain what happened. Well, and if, there, if it's still broadcasting something, we should have SETI point its ears that way somewhere. Yes, yes indeed. And I can't believe that... It isn't pointed there, but I can't get any more information. Maybe someone with a higher ranking than than Sherry or myself can, and I'm hoping that people will see this, someone with that kind of influence, and demand that we say, what has happened to Epsilon Buddhist? You must have concluded 
that there are a lot of UFO reports out there, and they're good ones. Something's happening on this planet. Oh, they're, they're... You have to conclude that. Okay, first of all, I know no disagreement from you. It's a great mystery. It is. Some people feel they have the answer. And they're very aloof about that. And they're very supercilious, saying we have the answer. As long as we have been in this research field, we realize that it's a multi-level phenomenon. It's a multi-level, multi-dimensional phenomenon. We don't. We know something is going on. We don't know if it's extraterrestrial, if it's multi-dimensional. We don't know. Though I kind of suspect there might be bases under the sea, there might be bases under Earth to account for some of the ancient legends, but the phenomena has been with us forever, and we feel that it influences every aspect of our existence in ways that we haven't even begun to dream of yet. We feel that strongly about it, that whatever the phenomena is, and we're not saying they come from Alpha Centauri, we're not saying they come from the hollow earth, we're simply saying consider all of this as a great mystery, a multi-layered mystery, but something is going on. Brad, why do you think at such a young age, you, me, and so many other people became fascinated with stories of UFOs and extraterrestrial life. What happened to us? <laughs> well, I, I think as the eminent philosopher uh, Lady Gaga says, we were just born that way. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. I, I have to bring up one thing. I got excited about Upsilon Buddhist, which is a favorite of mine. People, Some people like to play the name game with research. And I think we cannot overlook that the British astronomer who made the discovery of this robot satellite was named Duncan Lunan. How about that? So again, moon, it's beside the moon. So those, those little things kind of add uh, spice to research. You know, we continue to get these UFO reports and stories all over the place. Yet there are some people who truly believe government's going to disclose. I don't think so, and I've told them that. What do you no, think? I don't either. I don't either. I, I've said that, uh, I think, as long as I've been researching, with in writing, I should say, which goes back to the 50s and the first book in the 66 about UFOs, I've said then, it, it's not going to. And people say, well, they can't keep a secret. Oh, yeah, they can. I mean, but we have, and talking... Uh, about this not long ago with uh, with Kevin Randall, whom I know is yeah. aware of his fine research, and continually finding people making deathbed. I hate to use the word confession. Testimony. Sure. Deathbed testimony. They just want to get it off their chest. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I can't see why someone has kept it secret all of their lives and then on their deathbed would want to leave that as part of their legacy. So... It seems we're building up to a time of disclosure, but I really am not optimistic about this coming anytime soon. I know our friends in the exopolitical mm -hmm. side of it, uh, they're very enthusiastic, and, and we hear from them regularly and respect all of their research and what they're trying to do. And, you know, they're optimists, and I, you know, I'm 
try to be a cockeyed optimist as much as possible. So I'm hopeful that we will have some sort of great revelation, but I'm just... I'm just not terribly optimistic that it'll happen in our lifetime, anyway. Yeah, unless it's a mistake. A mistake. A mistake, or something like that happens. Good one, George. Let's go to the phones. David in Pleasant Hills, California, west of the Rockies. David, go ahead. You're on with Brad Steiger. Hey, George. Hey, Brad. How you doing tonight? Oh, okay, George. Uh, good. What was, uh, what was your name? David. I'm David. David. Okay, David. Yeah, how's it going? Um, yeah, I had a couple a couple people that I've been kind of researching lately. Uh, I've seen a few YouTube videos. It's all over the Internet with uh, stuff like what uh, John Lear has talked about. Um, one, of the, one of the big ones is Stephen Greer and the uh, that congressional, I think it was a congressional hearing that he was trying to get going mm-hmm. as far as disclosure goes. Um, things like, one thing I wanted to say, though, is we'll, I don't think we'll ever see disclosure because... Um, as far as I know, the uh, the Bilderberg Group is being controlled by the Greys, and as far as that's going on, as far as all that secrecy and these uh, destructive agendas are going on, we're not going to see anything come out in the open. Let's hypothesize about this, Brad. You know, th- this group, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, mm-hmm. these people, mm-hmm. you think they're being controlled by ETs? I, I would say not. I think they just don't want us to know because they're afraid they will lose control of us. Yes. No, I, I don't. Um, one stays open, as uh, I certainly have to do, and you certainly have to do, George. Yeah. Stay open to all. And, you know, I'm open to that type of comment, but I think the Bilderbergers, Illuminati, and there's a lot to write about conspiracies. We're just being overwhelmed trying to keep up with that. But uh, again, the caller agrees that there's probably not going to be disclosure um, as far as groups being controlled by ETs or aliens or multidimensionals, whatever. Um, that, that I think the whole field has and can have a certain paranoid aspect to it. And I think we have to be aware of that. I've seen so many friends since I began um, really... Uh, kind of lose it, uh, who were serious researchers, got in a little too deeply, felt that they really had insight into the truth. And then sad to say, many of them suffered um, mental issues. And, and yeah, uh, that happens. Uh, yeah, I, I won't go on. But uh, it, it's a field... And I, and I told Sherry, before we really got into this strong again, it's like entering a magic theater in one sense. And I said, things are going to happen, because when I was really into it in the 60s and the 70s, things that just beggared normal, sensible descriptions happen. And when we really got into it, those strange, unexplainable, mysterious things happen. And um, you get information uh, from many sources, and then things are... You you just have to watch a very cautious line. There's something about entering this field that that you have to stay balanced. You really have to know yourself. And that's why we maintain that, uh, a time of meditation, a time of prayer, a time of of reading from the, the Holy Scriptures of all faiths. I think you have to have that kind of balance. And 
It's a field we are convinced, and I'll say it again. It's the great mystery that affects all of us oh, it sure is. in you know, so many ways. What fascinates me, too, Brad, these stories of submersible UFOs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They pop out of the ocean. They're witnessed by sailors and people on boats, ships. Truly incredible stuff. Marvelous stuff. And get those stories uh, we receive all the time, you know, from uh, shrimp fishermen and and, uh, other fishermen and and, uh, uh, military men, Navy men and so forth who who write us with their reports. Can, uh, Can you imagine being on a boat? And you see a UFO smash itself out of the water and just take off? Well, we uh, stood on a shore of a lake in Peru and saw that happen at least a dozen times in one night. Yeah. Uh, No explanation what we were really seeing, but we all knew what it looked like we were seeing. Anything going back in or just going out? No, they go out, too. They would uh, come in. In and out dive, then go out, and uh, almost like they were putting on uh, a, a, a little show for us. Let's go to Clearwater, Florida. Scott, east of the Rockies. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. Hey, good evening. They were putting a show on for you, Brad. Um, they knew that uh, you'd be watching, so they put on a little play. You know, <laughs> okay. All right. You can't figure out what these things are, but I figured it out when I first heard about, you know, the UFOs. Uh, actually... You know, they're supernatural. I don't know why you don't want to actually say they're supernatural. You say they're multidimensional, but you can't really, you kind of stay away from saying they're actually supernatural. I I don't think you've read many of my books, have you? I haven't. I've never read any of your books, Brad. Well, then then you would know that uh, I began speaking of the supernatural aspect back in the 60s, much to the dismay of, of my fellow researchers. And, you know, I still think a lot of people will say they're dimensional, they're demonic. Mm-hmm. I still think they're coming from planetary systems within our our, our, our our galaxy. Well, you cannot deny that as a workable theory, but as we said, it's such a multi-layered theory. And certainly the spiritual or the supernatural people always, that's kind of a knee-jerk word for a lot of people, but I think we understand what we mean when I say that. Uh, that aspect of of another dimension, another world, another supernatural, whatever you define that, because there are so many similarities between UFO phenomena, aliens, and ghosts. For Dan Galanti, Gina Salvati, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasor, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Benal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett, I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.